I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January, or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Hello. From the Next Reels Film Board, this is Tommy Handsome with an important announcement. The following podcast includes movie audio clips that contain unbleeped profanity. Such profanity may include Damn, Hell, Nuts, Butterf, <laughs> McGee, Doodle, <laughs> Captain <laughs> and Toot Toot, here comes the diarrhea parade. Listening discretion is advised. Streaming services are on the rise, and brick-and-mortar video stores are a thing of the past. We have lost that experience of wandering the aisles and stumbling upon a film we've never heard of. We have replaced the familiar face behind the video store counter with an algorithm to recommend films. With more and more content available, it's harder to know what's worth watching and what might be a waste of your time. 
There are many hidden gems out there waiting to be discovered, and we want to help you find them. This is Trailer Rewind, a podcast where we discuss and review recently forgotten or overlooked films that are now available to stream at home. Today, one of our newest TNR voices, Ocean, is going to take a trip with me to meet the last black man in San Francisco. We built these ships, dredged these canals. In the San Francisco they never knew existed. This is our home. You two stick together. I always come back to the old house. What if it's empty? What if we just peeked inside? get their parties. You can put on one of your plays. We can yell. It is this house. Our old house. That's not your old house and that's not your neighborhood. This was Andy's pick from April 6, 2019. Andy mentioned that this was from A24 and that they have a solid track record of distributing interesting films. Pete agreed that the trailer didn't tell us what it was about, but presented a very compelling tone and mood. Today is November 5th, 2020, and The Last Black Man in San Francisco is available on Amazon Prime and Canopy. Ocean, where did you watch this one? Amazon Prime or Canopy? I watched it on Amazon Prime. Okay. Do you know about yeah, so. do you do you know about Canopy? I do not know about Canopy. I yeah. So, so I, that- I I'm a big fan of Canopy because it is a free service that is affiliated with public libraries. So you may want to check if you have a public library card, your branch or whatever system of the public library may have a subscription to Canopy. And they carry like nearly all the A24 films. They have a a chunk of Criterion films there. So a lot more of that indie and art house type of films are there and it is free. The only limitation is you get a certain number of credits per month Uh, with Canopy. I think it's like 15. So you can watch 15 movies a month, but they've got shorts. They've got all kinds of stuff. So it's a great resource. I like to tell people about because with all the streaming services, you know, you're paying for Amazon Prime and your Netflix and your Hulu and Disney Plus and this and that. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, all your streaming services are racking up to that huge bill that you thought you were getting rid of when you had, you know, cable TV. So Canopy is a free service is one I like to let people know about because there's some really cool stuff there. Yes, that does sound like a great service. Although I, I think I'm just, I find that I'll rack up my streaming service bills because I'm just going to pay to not have to leave my house. <laughs> Okay, (laughs) sounds good. Well, The Last Black Man in San Francisco was released into seven theaters on June 7th, 2019. So again, this typical small art house, you know, type of release. It expanded to 36 theaters the following week and continued to double screens each week uh, for the next two weeks. And so by July 12th, it was on 207 screens, which was the peak for this film. And then it slowly trickled down to 29 screens uh, by the week of August 16th. That was its final week in theater. So it had a good solid run over the summer, sort of in those, you know, smaller art house theaters. But during those two and a half months, it made about four and a half million domestically with a whopping nine 91,000 coming in from outside the United States. <laughs> but right 
After it, it was out of theaters, it, it hit digital services on August 13th, 2019. And as is usually the case, a couple weeks later, you could pick it up on Blu-ray or DVD in your physical formats on August 27th, 2019. So your, your standard release schedule for your art house type of, of film, which is the type of film we love talking about here on Trailer Rewind, because it wasn't in a lot of theaters. A lot of people may have heard about it, but not had not had a chance to see it. Now that it's available, we're going to talk about whether this film is worth watching. So one of the things we talk about here, First Ocean, is what were your expectations for this film? Did it live up to that? Who do you think this film might be for? What do you think? from watching the trailer, I had the same impression I think that uh, Pete had as well, that the, the trailer didn't really tell me much about what it was. Um, and, but it did have a very interesting tone. The cinematography looked really good and it looked like it'd be an interesting thing. And then also the, uh, title last black man in San Francisco that drew me in, um, you know, the, you know, kind of where there are several different directions that thing could go. So now having seen it as far as who I think it is for, I think this movie is really going to be for people that like movies that are slower paced and kind of, you know, really a slow paced drama that is going to get you to the point at the end, but you're, you're not really going to, you know, it's, it's just kind of one of a slower pace. I, I guess that's one thing that, I, that sticks with me about it is that the movie was a very slow paced movie. And so you want, you want to have people that really like, um, you know, the, the art house type of movie goers, right? That's really who this is for. This it really is going towards them. So if you, you know, want more, uh, of you know the action, excitement, fast-paced movies like that. This is not the movie for you. This is a movie where it's going to tell you a story, uh, a story that actually does end up having um, quite a bit of meaning um, as far as what the story is and then who the people are that tell it. But it it definitely takes its time getting there. Yeah, I think it's definitely more of a, a character piece, and you know, I think we can say without spoiling, I think one of the characters is is a house in this film because yes. it's very much a story about a, a man and his relationship to a house and a friendship between two men. So it's very much going to get into relationships, characters, uh, definitely something that's going to give you some things to think about, and I think it sets that tone right from the the start. It's very clear about the type of film this is going to be. For me, it was a a, a very powerful and and moving opening with just the cinematography. I mean, it's a beautiful film to look at. Uh, And I thought, wow, where does it go from here? That's a lot to live up to. Is it going to be able to maintain that? And I think that that should set the expectations for anybody of you're going to be engaged with an artfully crafted movie that's going to tell a story, but it's it's going to take some some patience and attention to this because it, it is very much about the the character piece of this. How how would you how would you rank this? You know, if, overall in your your rating system, where would you say how would you where where, where did this one fall for you? Well, this one for me fell very low. Okay. Um, so I, okay. I, I found that I watched that first five minutes and thought the same thing that you were thinking there. It felt with the same with the trailer. I have a lot of expectations going here. And then for me, it just dropped off a cliff and we can get to okay. get to that later on. Uh, for my flick chart, um, which is what I use predominantly for ranking, um, out of the 400 movies, 400 movies on my chart, I ranked it at 385. Uh, which means I should put it at about <laughs> the flick chart that I should say zero stars. And I was like, well, the acting was good, so I should give it one. Um, and that's kind of where it, where it fell for me. And so we can definitely, uh, throughout this, you know, uh, later on, we can talk more about all the different things about why I, I reacted to it to the way I did. Okay, so this is a film. So this is not a film that you would necessarily recommend 
to people, I'm assuming, based based on that? Or is it just you're saying it's not a film for me? Is that is that your reaction? I think it's a little bit of both. It's not, okay. definitely not a film for me. I would not recommend it to anyone either. Um, however, I, I do understand why people would like it. And I also do understand that if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, it's 92% fresh from critics. It's 84% fresh from audience members. So the people that saw this movie really did like it. And I recognize that I am in the minority. Um, but the uh, so, but in that minority, it's for for me. I, I view it as the exact opposite of of how Rotten Tomatoes uh, critics and audiences viewed this movie. Okay, well, I'm in the bit of the opposite end of the spectrum as you. I on my flick yeah. chart, it's 122 out of 649, which puts it where is it in the 80th percentile? So it's in the top 20 percent of right. my movies. Right. And for me, this is like a solid. I, I, I'm I'm torn because I the it's it's not a perfect film, and so I, I but I would say it's probably four four and a half stars for me because for me it was really an enjoyable experience. But again, I am the Terrence Malick fan uh, on, <laughs> when it comes to the, the TNR family, which I you know okay. takes take I take some flack for flack from some of them occasionally. I think I've got to have some words with with Tommy and Pete based on the last Satmac because I think there were some Malick cracks there. But I I I appreciate the artfulness of something and, and have that patience. And that may come from the fact that back when I was in high school working in the video store, I would, you know, seek out films and like uh, Wim Wenders, Wings of Desire and, you know, sitting and watching a foreign language film and, you know, mm-hmm. and being patient with that. I maybe developed a taste for those types of films at that point. So I'm perhaps maybe a little bit more patient with films. And again, for me, when I look at a movie, I will always value what is it trying to say over the entertainment aspect. If it comes between two things, this is a very entertaining film and this film has something important to say, I'll pick the important message over pure entertainment. That's that's how I'm built when it comes to viewing movies. And I feel like this is that type of film. And I think it, it wears that very proudly of this is a, a film that has something important to say. And I think it comes from the, the structure of the film, even just how it starts where we've got our... Uh, sort of our, our street preacher on his, his little box, you know, shouting out, you know, to the world about what's going on and just the the cinematography there says, this is a movie that is going to be saying something important or, is, or strives to say something important. So for me, that's the audience that I think I would, I would recommend it to. If you like those types of things, this would be your type of film. I agree. I agree that, that if, in that, the way you've couched it works, right? In that, yes, if you're looking for that type of movie or you enjoy that type of movie, you definitely will like this this movie. I think, though, for me, part of the problem was, while I do agree that this movie does attempt to say a thing that is important, but I feel that the general enjoyment of the film is is increased if you already know what they're trying to say. Okay. Right? Without already knowing the main crux of what they're really trying to say in this movie, uh, it, it, the way that it meanders and goes in several different directions and really provides you with multiple, you know, for lack of a better term, fake outs as far as, well, what is it we're really trying to say until you get to the point of what they're really trying to say. And if you're still on board and still enjoying the ride and you're still kind of there at the end when they get to that point, it's like, Hey, this movie's great. And I understand when people liked it for me, I'd already bailed. Before we got okay, to that okay, point, sure. You know, and so I mean, I was watching the movie, but you, you know, I, I was already, my feelings had already soured <laughs> to everybody. So, were you watching movie. the movie or were you enduring the movie? Is that sort of like I, I, I'm just yeah. going to put it in and and to to make I, it through? 
yeah, no, it was, you know, I, I was watching it at first. I think that, um, I was watching it at first for sure. Um, and then after a while, yes, it is, it does seem to be a bit of your enduring the movie. I, I found that for me, the movie was confusing, right? Okay. And that, you know, it, it, and throughout several points of it, uh, throughout several parts of it, 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 is go, it's starting to go in one direction where you're starting to think, okay, well, this is what we're talking about. And then it goes another direction like, oh, okay, no, no, this is what we're talking about. And then it does that a really probably a couple more times before you really get to, I think in the last 15 minutes is when it really kind of hits you and everything comes together as far as this is what this movie is talking about. And then actually when I, I, I ended up, you know, since I reacted so negatively to it, I ended up, you know, watching bits and pieces of it Mm -hmm. and everything again to see, okay, was I being too harsh and too critical? Right. And on, on part of it, that's kind of where I came, came around to this, this thought process is that when I watch it again and see it again, knowing what we're talking Mm -hmm. about now, some of the things make more sense. Right, you know, and yeah. I kind of see where we're going and what this story, what the story is doing. It, it doesn't make me like the movie much more, but at least it makes more sense. Okay, because right? the the first time I was like, this, I'm not even, I don't. It didn't make sense to me that what they were talking about and the character motivations uh, seemed out of whack to me. Okay, well, you are on, you know. A- as you said, you looked at Rotten Tomatoes. I always look at where are we. So with with other rating systems, so over on Letterboxd, it has a average review of 4.06 stars yes. based on about 50,600 reviews. Over at IMDb, it is at 7.4 based on 13,518 votes. So everybody that in those two you know systems clearly are agreed. I Whenever I see that, though, and when I hear an opinion like yours, I have to wonder if people feel like oh, I don't get this movie, so clearly it must be art and it must be good, and so it must, you know, people, do they default to, it's? I don't get it, so it must be art, and so therefore it's a great film because the critics are telling me that. Because that's that's one of the things that I often wonder when I, I will see sometimes films that have, have got this classic reputation, I look at it and say, well, I don't, I don't see that. I don't understand why right. it's getting all the, the praise, and so I'm you know, curious and we'll, we'll get into in more depth into that. But listeners, if you think that this is your kind of film and you don't want anything spoiled, this is your chance to pause the podcast and check out the last black man in San Francisco on Amazon prime or canopy. All right, Ocean. Now we can get we can get into it because people at this point they either have stopped and watched the movie to figure out what it was that you did not like about this movie, or they don't care and they're just eager to hear what it is that that you don't like about this critically acclaimed and celebrated movie that's gotten yes, great yes. great reviews. So you <laughs> so I will I will agree with you on on certain aspects of that of the story is not really transparent with what's going on and what the motivations are because we have a lot of things going on and it's not always clear why these characters are here, why we see some of these scenes because we don't get the full connection and context of everything till later on. So it's a, it's a bit of a, I don't want to say a mystery or puzzle, but all the pieces, I think it's the attempt of the, the filmmakers to weave together all these story threads to this moment of revelation at the end. But if we aren't along for the ride and if they don't keep our attention, then yeah, we find ourselves wondering, what does this have to do with anything, right? I mean, is that sort yes. of your your take? Okay, so yes, let, yes, let's let's get into so. let's get into that. I mean, because we, we we do have, I mean, for me, the opening with the two guys cruising on the skateboard, you know, through the city, we got the the slow motion again, very artfully done. And I thought, okay, this is setting up this artfulness of the cinematography. 
the music, the way we've got the street preacher on his his box, you know, speaking directly to the audience. We've got sort of surreal imagery of, you know, just a little girl walking on the sidewalk, but men in hazmat suits and, and smoke. And is this a toxic environment? What what world are we in? But then we get to the house, right? We get Jimmy gets to the house and we've that's where our story for me really takes off is discovering what's going on with Jimmy in this house, right? That's our our big mystery for a while is what's his relationship to the house um yes it is but i think that you know part of the first phase of where the movie starts to lead astray is in that opening sequence right which visually first off i'll just start visually it's great right uh but the you know the the people in the hazmat suits in san francisco right so they're in hazmat suits they're picking up trash and then you have the little black girl that comes and she's just you know normal in a backpack like she's coming home from school she's skipping along and talking to and then the street preacher is then preaching about how the uh the water's been dirty for 50 years and everything's been horrible like that and then how come they have hazmat suits and we don't you know and then you know and then then from there you know uh jimmy and montgomery the the main two characters they're waiting for a bus to get somewhere. They're not going to make it, so they decide to ride on their skateboard, right? And when they go through the visuals, you see is a lot of either burned or torn down houses, burned down houses, a uh, construction site. It it looks, and then there's yeah various scenes of black people that are you know commiserating in some form or fashion in the city of San, in San Francisco, and I, I guess it's really more the suburbs because in part of that skateboard scene they go through what is obviously the downtown business sector and then that's where they see more white people that are there and then they leave the downtown business sector go back towards the the city and suburbs and then it's you know back to the similar scenery and where we first meet our the four i remember there's four or five that the crew basically i guess they're gang members that are talking you know you kind of see them for a second and then you get to the house right so the so the problem to me there in that establishment shot is well are we establishing that San Francisco is truly a toxic environment? I think early on that's kind of dispelled, but then it's like, well, is this now going to be an allegory of that San Francisco is a city where, you know, the, uh, basically the white affluent people have now left it and it is now a wasteland that is not, doesn't have right, good social services, doesn't have good food, good water, clean air, anything like that, that, you know, and that's where the black people have now been, you know, in essence, segregated too, and that they, they have to live in this, in this squalor or this area. And it's going to be an allegory for another statement later. Right. And so that's kind of what I'm thinking at that point. Then they right. get to the house. And of course, everything I'm thinking there well, is wrong. Right. And so, <laughs> and so they, they then get to the house. And then now that we're at the house, he goes and decides he being Jimmy, our main character decides it is, time to he doesn't they don't break in they talk out almost as if they're going to you know go into the house but they right. don't and then he decides it's time to make some repairs right and so he starts painting the windowsill yes right? and so <laughs> you, you know at the, and, then, and then you know montgomery decides to sit and he's he's an artist so he sits outside outside on the street and he's drawing on drawing in the in his book and writing you know writing we don't really know what he's writing at this point right and then that's right. fine that we don't know what he's writing but we don't know what he's writing at this point and this is kind of where we are Right. And so it's, you know, that, that to me, that establishing shot of, you know, not only the, the, the beauty of it, but then the oddity, like the two of them on the same skateboard. Right. Right. That, yes. that looked, that was very interesting and different to me as well. Right. But that, you know, that, you know, you, you set up this establishment shot of that we're okay. This is San Francisco, but not the San Francisco of the real world. And we're going to tell a story around it. And that's what you're thinking. And then soon thereafter you realize, oh no, this is, it's just San Francisco. Right. Yes. And, and that is the sort of like, 
are we getting into magical realism? What's going on uh, with with our environment? And yes, I agree we, because we have several scenes where we've got these like burned out homes. We've got a scene where they're walking past and it's like a house that has been burned to the ground. And, and it's you know it was like what was it rent controlled? And there were too many people living there. But there's there's yeah. this as you said this sort of state apparently trying to maybe make a statement about society and the old city and you know whether it's gentrification or you know. As as the population shifts, what that's doing to the city, but it's not very clear. And I will agree that is one of the things that does not resolve itself. It's not very clear what that statement is because for me, it becomes much more about the story of the house. You know, why is Jimmy painting the trim around the windowsill? Why is he so invested in taking care of this house? Because he feels like the people that live there don't respect the house. They don't understand the house. He appears to have some type of connection to the house. That we don't we don't understand why, as we get further along through the story, we start to realize a little bit more about his connection. But I want to come back to the sort of the the gang, the the street gang, that yes. uh, that they're they're the other element that appears throughout because we've got as uh, Jimmy and Montgomery come back, they're talking about something about the the water and that you know the water that's you know toxic out there. Well, that's the same water you 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 bathe with and all that and the the guys on the street sort of hear them and say, are these two guys taking showers together? What is this? There's this sort of conflict between the two. And the character of Montgomery is very interesting because he's very much an observer type of role. He, He doesn't take a lot of action, but he sort of goes over there to like, find out who these guys are, what's going on with them. He, he, the way he interacts with them is very odd and unusual. And so it's not clear what the relationship, if, if any exists between our two main characters and these guys on the street, as we get further and further into the story there, we get a little bit more. And I think that's, if if I'm understanding is sort of one of your challenges with this is a lot of information is hidden from us and we don't have the context for these scenes. Like why are they interacting this way? What's, what's going on? And that doesn't give us anything to latch onto for those scenes to understand why is this happening or what are we supposed to gain from watching this interaction? between these characters, right? Exactly. Okay. Yes. No, I, I agree. I, you know, the, the reason for the uh, people on the street, I think really, as far as the storytelling and narrative goes is, is really more revealed later on. And really, it's more really about one of them, right? It's really predominantly right. about uh, Kofi. Yes. Um, and so it's, you know, it's about Kofi and he's really about him. And then, you know, they, I, I think that they are trying to represent an archetype of people. You know, they, I think they're supposed to be gangsters, right? They're right. not, they don't do anything that really no. makes you think that they're against you because they're just staying on the corner talking the whole time, right? Right. But the way they're talking and what they're talking about and the subject matter and everything like that implies that they're gangsters. And also what ends up happening with Kofi, Kofi right. also implies that they're gangsters or, or they're wannabe gangsters, right? Be, right. You know, not necessarily that it's, they're really in, in that life, but they maybe want to be or want to pose as that life. And maybe that's their way of trying to assert not only their personality, but maybe they're trying to assert their own power through through doing you know th- through doing that but you know at the same time in that first initial interaction right excuse me so part of it which was odd to me um you know so so far as little things that stood out to me and and part of what I was trying to even understand what's going on with the movie is it was strange to me that when uh, both Jimmy and Montgomery are inner when they go up and talk to the four gangsters at the beginning of the movie they only talk to Montgomery Yes. Right. They do not even acknowledge Jimmy's presence. Right. 
and and that and then then there's you know and that that uh, I thought that was odd, and, and so then I started so I thought that was odd, and then I you know they move on to, you move on to the next scenes when they're ever there together. The next scene they go inside the house and they meet uh, you know and, you, and that's when we meet Montgomery's grandfather played by Danny Glover, right? In, in that scene, right? Oddly enough, you know Montgomery also his grandfather also only interacts with Montgomery. He d- never interacts with Jimmy in any way, even though Jimmy's right there. Right, okay. you know, and then there's there's several scenes in the first. It's about 25 minutes in before any single character actually interacts with both of them, right? And so, you know, for me, what, since I'm already now searching for, okay, well, what am I watching and what's this about? I start thinking, are they going to do a Fight Club thing? Where it's like, <laughs> okay, you know, yes. are they, the, okay. same, are they yeah. the same person? Yeah, and we're just seeing two different p- uh, personality points in a single per- individual about this. You know, 25 minutes in again. Um, as, as for me with the several rabbit holes of this movie, I was wrong. There's two of them, uh, you know, but, but I thought, well, maybe that's what we're trying to do. And he's trying to demonstrate that he has these two different personality traits and that's how he's trying to get along with things. Part of him is attached very much to the house. And another part of him is Montgomery who is trying to then interact and identify, uh, other, you know, other people in his peer group that live in his neighborhood, right. even though they live in the same neighborhood, they're around each other all the time. There's an impression that they grew up together, but clearly Montgomery doesn't identify with them, right? You know, he's clearly a different type of person. He doesn't identify with them. And that's, I think you see that throughout the movie, Montgomery in his, um, in his desire to, you know, in the way he's observing of things, part of it is, I think he's trying to understand Right and try to understand okay, and yes. know, understand how they are, why they are this way, and try to identify with them more. Yeah, that's the the interesting thing about Montgomery is his interactions because we see, I mean, we hear at the beginning we see the you know or the street preacher giving his speech, and then we see you know Montgomery has written it down, and then he's on the the dock or whatever, sort of like rehearsing, and he's reciting those lines. It's like he tries to understand people and how they think or what how they work in his interactions by either playing a role or assuming the role of somebody. So it's almost like he doesn't have his own identity. He tr- tries to understand the world by either playing a part or, or stepping in, you know, to an interaction like with those, with our, our alleged street gang by, you know, becoming somebody different as he interacts with them. So it's, he's an interesting character in, in that aspect, but I agree. It's not clear what function he is to play. I hadn't, I hadn't noted that no one interacts with Jimmy. I hadn't even really seen that at the beginning. I can thinking back now, I could see, yes, that that's very much those two interact with each other. But when it comes to anything else, Jimmy is very much withdrawn because it's, he's, he's, living in the house with uh, with Montgomery and, and the grandfather. But again, we, we only see, you know, Jimmy talking with Montgomery. That's yeah. something that I had not noticed. So thank you for, for bringing that up. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, it, and, and it happens the other way as well. Yeah. Like later on when they meet uh, Jimmy's dad's friend and they get into the car. Yes. When yeah. they both get into that car together, right? The, Jimmy's dad friend only talks to Jimmy. He never looks at yeah. or says one word to Montgomery. At any point, you know, and so, yeah, so it, it goes both directions. So I didn't know that's part of why I started wondering if maybe they're the same person or what we're trying to see here with this. But I think that that for me was the, probably the second time of where I thought, okay, well, the movie's trying to tell me something here and it turns out that's not what it's telling me. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And so then it, it was like, okay, well, it's not that. So then, then what is it? And let me try to understand uh, Jimmy's outlandish attachment to this house. 
So, right, which I guess we should probably we should probably get to that. We should, that, yeah, right? I was just going to say that's to me the the core of the story is really yes, about absolutely. Jimmy the house and, and the house. And so we we've seen that he has this attachment to the house, and so we have you know that he's been there. That clearly he has a antagonistic relationship with the owners of the house because when they show up, you know, they start throwing fruit at him that they've gotten from the fresh market. <laughs> All that like, well, why are you here? Get only, out of here. One. Oh, only one, right? Yeah, only one. The, 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 the guy is like, well, hang on, he's painting the house. house let, right. let him, yes. you know, thanks. You know? Yes. You know, I don't have to paint the house. Let him do it. That works. Exactly. So, but we yeah. then get to the point where uh, something happens with the owners. It's uh, it's actually either owned by the, the woman's mother or something like that, but it's, it's there's now a family dispute over ownership of the house, and so the house has been um, vacated by the owners. They, they're no longer yes. living there uh, at this point. So so Jimmy and Montgomery are able to, to break into the house, and we finally get to see the interior of the house, and we get, uh, as, as they're in the house, um, a tour group on their little segways comes by with a, a little cameo from uh, Jello Biafra of, of the Dead Kennedys. If uh, <laughs> I would not have noticed... No, I wouldn't have noticed him except for his very distinctive voice uh, leading the tour group up. And there Jimmy has to provide some some clarification to the, the false information that the tour guide is providing about the house. The camps. This house was built in the 1940s. <laughs> Say hi to our neighbor here, everybody. That would actually be about 100 years late for this style. We can see from his gingerbread trim, this was built sometime in the 1850s. Uh, 1946. <laughs> I'm gonna have to disagree with you there, dude, man. No architect in the 1940s was building in this style. That's probably true, but this wasn't built by an architect. My grandfather built this. He came here in World War II he bought this lot and he built this house. The stairs, these windows, the columns, the archways, the witch hat, the balustrades, the fish scales, this balcony, that wall to keep you all the fuck out. All of it by Jimmy Fells the first with his own two hands in 1946. Wow. Jimmy then lets, uh, lets, lets the tour know uh, what he believes, well, at least what he's saying at the time, which is his grandfather in 1946 uh, built this, came to San Francisco and built this house with his own hands, right? Once, because the neighborhood, as we've been told in the tour, used to be live uh, predominantly was populated with Japanese people, uh, Japanese Americans. And then because of World War II and the internment camps, they were basically rounded up and removed, put into internment camps. And then Jimmy's grandfather, uh, purportedly, according to the story, bought the land that this house is on and then built the house with his own two hands in 1946 in a style that is the architectural style of 1850 or 1846. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the story that Jimmy is, is selling. And right. so it's, yeah. So, so that's what we've been told. It's not, you know, we learn later that it's not, not true. Um, the story always did kind of ring a bit odd to me. Um, you know, just because of the, the, the timeline that we're talking about, right? So that in 1940s America, we are, uh, he's, he's, he's telling a story that in 1940s America in San Francisco, that a black man was able to 
get the loan or whatever wherewithal together to buy a plot of land and then build the house by hand. Right. Right now, my, uh, you know, coming, you know, coming from, so, you know, coming from family members who did that, right. Um, you know, that lot more is more common in the South, right. In in the South that happens more where you have the black family members. Cause I have my, I have my own great grandfather who bought some land in the South, you know, and, and got that and, you know, built it up and, and did it. Whereas, out on the West Coast, and that now he bought it in the 1800s, right? In the right. Late, in, in, right, you know, around the, you know, you know that little that that time period of window when slavery ended and the Reconstruction hadn't quite gone to mm-hmm. gone to pot yet, right? So he got okay. the land then, built the house then, and then just stayed in the family, right? And so that those things happened in the 40s, right? World War II is still going on. The you have the Japanese internment, and so then you have a story where he came and then he had enough. You know, you would think about the amount of money you would need to buy that land. And then from there to then build the house on your own, yes. right? And so it just seemed like it seemed like a familiar story that it was geographically and even from the t- year out of place, right? So I already thought that that was a bit odd, but okay. I was you know I was willing to go with it. You know, it's kind of like I was in my okay, let's go with this movie mode. You know, similarly to the part of the plot hole of of there's a dispute of who owns the house. So the people that are currently in the house have to leave the house, right? right? Well, that's not how it works. Right. So, so, you know, at all. So, so you're kind of like, okay, I'm just going to go with it. Right. Right. That's what the movie's telling me. So I'm going to go with it. And the movie's telling me that this happened in 1946. So, okay, I'm going to go with that too. Right. Even though neither of these stories make sense to me. Okay. Well, I, I will agree. It is, you know, when you look at the house and the crafts, craftsmanship in the house and to think that one man built this with his own hands, you have to think this is the most amazingly skilled and talented, you know, construction, wood craftsman, all of those things. Cause it's a, yes. it's a, it's a gorgeous house, but that it is, is, and now it's, you know, the story that, that Jimmy believes. And then the, of course, the reason why it's no longer in his family is his father lost the house in the, in yes. the nineties. Right. So we, and we even get that verified by the realtor when they go to approach a realtor about finding out like, is this, you know, what's the status of this house? And that's where he, you know, when they find, discuss the, the fact that it's a family dispute, he's like, oh, okay, well, it's not going to be as, as simple as you think. So they're just basically squat in the house. They just, Take yes. over, you know, exactly. in in the house, and it is this nice little place for for Jimmy to have have a place of his own for once, a place for the two of them to just you know, I guess, revel in the vastness of space because there's no neighbors really right on top of them when as compared to the house Montgomery lives in with his grandfather, which is a very very tiny house. This has you know huge rooms, a, a secret hidden room behind a bookcase, you know, beautiful staircases, all of these things. It's, it's like a kid's dream house, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's what it is for these two. Uh, but of course, you know, no dream lasts forever. And we've, we've got lots of things that happen sort of in between. And this is where we get more about our street gang and what happens with Kofi, which is there's questions about is, is he tough enough and, and all of that. And he ends up mm-hmm. getting shot, you know, and that it goes back to, are they really a gang or is it just a bunch of guys hanging out on a corner pretending to be tough, tough guys in a gang and calling out one of their members is not being tough enough. And it ends up, you know, he ends up getting shot for that. Uh, we have, you know, a scene with, um, 
with Jimmy and his father. We, we've got, we learned a little bit more about Jimmy and his family through, you know, his father is basically selling bootleg DVDs of, I think it's Cliffhanger. It is Cliffhanger. <laughs> He's selling bootleg DVDs in between giving a lesson of how to squat in a house. Exactly. Of Yes. yes cause he clearly knows how to squat in a house because you, 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 yes. you got to get you got to get the you got to get the bills in your name right and we yes, see a scene with, exactly. with Jimmy trying to do that trying to do everything he can to do this and then the scene where Jimmy goes and visits his uh, his aunt who has a lot of the stuff that was in the house a lot of the grandfather's stuff that she has kept in storage so that Jimmy can take that you know which seemed I will say it it pushed the limits of credibility of her thinking that Jimmy was able to somehow acquire this house, right, to to take all the stuff and and all of that. Um, But then again, we've got, you know, more scenes of skateboarding there with her her husband or or boyfriend who's an older man. (laughs) (laughs) Skateboarding skills. Yes. Yeah. I I, I felt that they were in a looking back at the in the finished product of the movie i feel that the sister was also in a level of denial yes right because yes. you know at first i thought it was just more she was in a level of of somehow either wanton ignorance of how houses and everything works because she but she has a house so maybe right. the husband just got the house and she just lives there and doesn't understand how it all works or any of that stuff because yes it is not reasonable to think that Jimmy with, you know, who had, he did have a job as a, um, I believe he was a nurse at an assisted living right. facility. Yes. Um, so yeah. he does have a job. Right. right? Um, but at the same time to be able to get his job, doesn't give you the income you need to get that. House. No. Right. No. You, were, you know, and so, but to be like, I stored all this stuff and I kept it. That to me, that to me was one of the first parts that rang true. Yes. Um, I was like, yes, she would keep all of this stuff. Right. And, and then, and then he would come back and want it and he would then want to take it. And all, all that part I, I thought rang very true and worked for me. Um, you, you know, having, having multiple family members that are a lot like that, right. Well, they're going to hang on to everything. Okay. And so, you know, so that, that part, you know, that part worked for me, but you know, that, that they're living in this constant form of denial about his ability to get the house and, you know, be able to stay in the house and that, you know, then she's, you know, proud of him for getting the house. But then right. I think she, is saying that to him, but also as part of her denial, but understands he's squatting. Right. Right. That yes. That's the only way he's in there is that he's squatting because, you know, she knows his father, knows what happened, the history there and everything else. So I think she knows, but she's just, you know, going with it and, and living with it in the denial. Right. Um, but, uh, and one other part I just wanted to jump back to uh, about sure. when they're in the house, right? That um, the, the, one of the, to me, the more powerful and better scenes in the movie is when they invite Kofi over to the house, mm-hmm. right? You know, the, you get the reaction of someone from that knows them from the outside world coming in and seeing this new house and the acting, you know, the surprise and the shock that that person has about their ability to get the house. Right. Uh, and then the instant acceptance of them having the house. Right. Right. And then, you know, you can even see then that the, the relationship that they have with Kofi seems to be that, well, they invited him over. He just said, yes, they're not really friends yet. They're right. just friendly and know each other. And it seems to be that over the course of that evening, they then bond a bit more as friends. Yes. Right. And that's, you know, when he leaves, when he, you know, they hang out in a sauna and they, yes. and they, they go for, I think they go for a schwitz, right? They right. Schwitz. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They go for a schwitz in the sauna, you know, and they hang out and they have that scene. And, and they, um, I think they, all three characters in this scene 
reveal a little bit about themselves so that they get to know each other a bit better. Right. Right. And yes. that they then feel that, you know, we've revealed and, and some, some would say some vulnerabilities there, right. Yes. That we revealed sure. about, I uh, revealed something to me, to you about myself. Mm-hmm. And that this is kind of like the first salvo of us really trying to build a true friendship that there would be in effect three friends in the story instead of two, which then, you know, is, is contrasted or makes it where, when the next day, when Kofi's back with his friends and he starts insulting them again right. and yes. you know treating them very poorly, it makes that kind of sting a bit more because right. it's like no, you know, the other guys insulting them was that's what they always did. It right. was no big deal. We weren't really friends, but hey, we we you were over at our house, we spent some time together, we bonded. I thought we were friends. I don't understand how you could then you know turn your back on us and treat us this poorly just to make yourself look good in front of your friends. No, yes, exactly. That is you know. What again? It's it's because it's Montgomery that invites invites him over, and it, it for me yes. that was the, the interesting aspect of that. Of who is this Montgomery? You know, what is it that he's trying to get by inviting over somebody who's been antagonistic toward them, but they end up bonding? Of what is he? You know, part of it is I think is he just the pure playwright who's trying to you know find out what it's like to be a person in a gang. So if I invite somebody over and befriend them, I'm going to gain some insight into who this person is and what their life is like. And I can use that for, for my art that I'm doing, or is it really legitimately I'm trying to befriend somebody because I'm a, I'm a good person and I want, want to get to know them because once a person, once you know somebody, it's a lot harder to be, to be mean to somebody when you know and respect them as another human being, which is where we get yes. to with that relationship, which as you point out, does make it sting a lot more when it's, it's like a moment of betrayal than of like, yes. we, we let you into our secret little special world and, you know, share this with you. And now you're going to continue to, to taunt and insult us is yeah. A really, really harsh moment for them. Um, so then, yeah, they're they, they're squatting in the house, and then you know, of course, that that won't last forever, and they're no. they're they're found out because they come back with uh, what is it the the they're coming back with flowers, and then they the the, the woman's back, you know, in the house, and so yes. they decide, oh well, we'll but, we'll come back later, yeah, right? But they're not really caught then. Well, no, no, they're not caught then. It's then later yeah. on when, if I remember everything, yeah. then the there's. Everything gets the real, the real the realtor, the real, yeah, the that's real right. Owner. They yeah, come the back. Realtor, yes. Like, he comes back and he, he gets the contract to sell the house. That's so right. He throws yes. all their stuff out. That's right. He, yes. You know, he assumes it was them. Right. And that's why he just put it on the street. Cause street. he says, I thought it was you guys. So I put it on the street cause I could have just, you know, just, had, had it on the store and got rid of it. Right. But I thought you should, you could have it back because you seem like nice enough guys when I met right. you before. Right. That's right. That's and right. Yeah, that's, and that's, and that's when they're really caught. The locks were changed. They can't get back in. That's right. And that's where Jimmy tries to go to the bank to see if he yes. can get, if he can get a loan <laughs> for how many millions of dollars and he'll, he'll pay, he'll pay <laughs> as long as it takes it's, to yeah. own this house. Yeah, to, like, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember the exact number. I think it was 2 million. Yeah. It was, it was several, million several million. Yeah, and he's so. just, he's nowhere near, you know, he has, no, he has no, no assets, a, nothing. It's um, a big mortgage with zero down. Yes. So, <laughs> exactly. yeah. Cause he says, well, how much done? And he's like 20%. He's like, I don't. <laughs> I don't, I, don't, have, I don't have that. I yeah, don't have so. that. But then there's Montgomery's approach, which is is very different. I noticed the house we discussed is not for sale. There are some alarming elements in your literature I, I thought you would like to know. And certainly in the Bureau of Real Estate would. Uh-huh. This claims the property has a view of the Golden Gate. 
which I don't think is true. Well, it isn't. It isn't true. It also claims to have all the original fixtures, floors, and faucets. It isn't true. And are you planning on disclosing that there's no septic tank? Which means any day now, the garden could be flooded with, with shit. Where's this going, man? Well, all this together seems like false advertisement, which is grounds for void of sale, potential revoke of license. I thought it might have been you guys. What's your deal, man? Don't have a deal. Hmm. Look, somebody on this floor would have gotten that house if it wasn't me. At least I'm from here, right? I put your stuff on the street as a favor. Okay. I could have had it trucked away, but I left it out for you guys. Look, dickwad. I'm not fucking around. I will report you. For what? Listing a view of the bridge and fixtures? Everybody does that. I literally copy-pasted that shit. Well, you're lying about the history of the house. I'm not lying about that. Yes, you are. You say it was built a hundred years earlier than it actually was. Look, I'm not making this up. Yes, you are. James Fails built this house in 1946. James Fails. <laughs> what are you talking about? Look, man. <clears throat> Deed of Trust, 1857. Architect Gil Cooley, some shit. Your guy Fails lost it in the 90s. See right there. Look, man, if you need a week to find somewhere else, then take it. But don't go pulling some squatter's right shit on me, man. I got your mail. <laughs> I know your name. I don't want to call the cops. I don't want to do that to you. He's trying to basically accuse the realtor of fraud by saying, yes. you've listed all these things in the, in the listing of the house, which are not true. And the realtor's like, yeah. look, everybody does that. And then <laughs> then Montgomery yeah. thinks he's got he's got the, the ace in the hole. He's going to pull out of like, you said this house was built in this time when it was actually built in 1946. And that's when the realtor pulls out the deed and says, I've got the original deed here that shows when it was originally built. Which yes. now we've got Montgomery fighting for Jimmy and then being confronted with the fact that everything he's been told by Jimmy is a lie. It's, it's, yes. it's not true. And so that's when yes. he, so we've got both of them failing in their, in their attempts to maintain the house. But the realtor does say he's going to give them a couple of days. He's going to give them a little bit of time to, to clear out because there's, you know, he's got some wiggle room before he's going to start showing it, whatever, but he basically gives them, like, I think it's like to the end of the week or something like that. Because then, right. so that's when Montgomery right. goes the back. Right, being a nice enough guy right, to, to let them do it and let, everything like that. And, right. and honestly, about that scene, um, just as a, as, as a point of interest for, for me where, I, I, it was it, for me. It was it was a great scene. It was well acted. I liked the idea of what Montgomery was trying to do. I did find, however, that I started to question. It, it helped kind of solidify for me how you know, like I said, I, I did not en enjoy lots of part of the lots of the movie. And this scene to me was part of what, what another aspect of things that bothered me. Where the scene was well acted. The you know the uh, the, uh, the guy that played Montgomery's Majors is his last name. I don't remember. So let me look up his first name. Jonathan Majors. Uh, Jonathan Majors. Jonathan right. Majors does a great job acting. Yeah. I like him. Other things I've seen him in as well, and it's, it's great acting. And the, and the the back and forth between them seems very sincere. He's really sincerely 
uh, Montgomery's really sincerely trying to get this house back for his friend, and that yes. they can, that way they can, you know, even you know, I think that they would like to live together. But in that moment, I feel that Montgomery's really can't, saying he doesn't really care if he lives there or not. He just wants Jimmy to live there because he recognizes that's Jimmy's dream, right? right? And so in that emotional moment, when the realtor then shows him the original deed, mm-hmm. I'm sitting there going, he wouldn't have the deed. This doesn't, because <laughs> he doesn't own the house, so he wouldn't have the deed. So I'm like, why? What is this? Why? Why does he have, well, yeah, why does he have the deed? What the, the a bank somewhere owns this house, so the bank has the deed. He would the realtor doesn't have the deed. Like, what is that? Why are you why are you bringing reality into crushing this this illusion I have about this movie? You and your dang realism? Well, yes. No, it's I'm a valid to, point. Yes, well, it's true. Because yes. I'm still at this yeah. point in the movie, yeah. I'm still trying to figure out what it's about because right. I I would argue and we'll get to it that it isn't until the end that they that you can really kind of find, feel okay, this is what it's about. So I'm still trying to figure out what it's about. So I'm trying to find, okay, what's real, what's not real, what am I supposed to take literally, what am I supposed to take figuratively? And in doing that, I found I'm, I'm dissecting scenes a bit more. I felt okay. the emotional power of the scene they had. But when he pulls out the deed, I was like, help me understand why he has a deed. Right. <laughs> I can't, you know, because, so. because he does. Because that's exactly. what, because, exactly. okay, because so, because so, okay. The, the, we needed, so, because we needed that plot point. We needed to, so, so you're saying there's some flaws in the architecture here because yes. we somehow need to get to the point where Montgomery realizes that the story that Jimmy's been telling about the house is a lie. And the, the only mm-hmm. device that this story can come up with to get that information to him is to have the realtor have the deed, which... Which, which there's no logical equally, reason that he would physically have that piece of paper, right? Yes, okay. you could have equally communicated with, here's the sale history of the house. Yes. See, on Zillow, right here. Here had. it goes. Yes. <laughs> yes. have the sale history of the house. <laughs> he wouldn't have the deed. So, but anyway, so that, okay. that to yeah. me was, you know, I just wanted to, I guess I wanted to bring that up as an important discussion because it did, it did take me out of a great okay. scene. Yes. Right? You know, okay. Because it, it was, it was, it was a great, powerful scene. And so after that, then once he realizes that he doesn't get the deed, uh, Montgomery is uh, struck, and also too the, the after effect. He is now uh, motivation has struck him. He now has a, a story that he wants to tell. Uh, there's a scene right after, shortly after that, with his grandfather, where his grandfather wants to help him brainstorm or talk through a story, and he's like, "Nope, I'm brainstorming the story on my own. I right. need to get through it to figure out what it is." And it ends up being the story of the play. At the at the end of the movie, right, right, and then that, that and this gives him the inspiration of what he's going to do with it because I believe I'm I'm not sure on my order. I think it was the Kofi was shot. Yes. Then the scene with then the scene with the realtor, mm-hmm. and then the next day they find out if right. I remember the order correctly. Or it, it's it's you know, it, they're they're all right things, there. Yes. Yeah. Those two things happened. I, I don't remember which was first, Kofi getting shot or him knowing about the house, but they were right next to each other. Right. And so and then that created the inspiration for the play that he's going to put on at the end. Yes, we see, have lots of scenes of Montgomery like cranking out this this play that he's working on, but it is yes. definitely we see that it's these two events happening in close proximity to each other that inspire and motivate him to to do something about this. And for me, I thought, okay, this is about trying to break Jimmy out of his delusion about the house or to get him to do something with his life because everything. It's been so much about the house, and if that is a falsehood, I've got to do something to help my friend. It's almost like I'm going to stage an intervention here I, on this, yeah. you know. And so he they decide he puts on his little play, The Last Black Man, in San Francisco that they do up in the the attic of the house, and we get 
like all the characters there. We get, you yes. know, we get the grandfather. We get, um, you know, we see Jimmy's dad the there. We aunt, get the, the street, yeah. the street gang. Uh, I believe yes. Jimmy's mom is also there because I think is she there? Because I know we we met think Jimmy's mom. No, either. we just we just met her on we the just bus. See Jimmy's mom on the bus. bus. That's, that's right. A, that's a whole awkward scene that I was just like, I'm just gonna go. <laughs> Um, so. and, and then, and then, general people from the neighborhood that we've seen right, on exactly. the streets yeah, that, yeah. that yeah. are going to come up and right. see this cute little play in the house, which is a one-man show with Montgomery playing multiple roles and yes. and creating uh, by, by maybe you know split doing the like costume you know left side right side so that he could as I'm facing this way I'm one character as I flip around and face the other way I'm the other character because my costume yes. has been split so he he reenacts you know basically the the scene with with Kofi and the you know sort of the leader of the the street gang we see this this dynamic of what what pushed him you know from Montgomery's perspective of that that tension between those two characters that results in you know Kofi's death which for me, that's I will agree. It gets gets muddied there of something as important as someone getting killed, you know, such a tragedy, and then trying to connect that with Jimmy and the house. I mean, to me they're 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 not equal in in weight and importance of what the community needs to be paying attention to, right? I, I agree that they're not equal. I think that the the trajectory of that it, it kind of works right in that because because when you really break down what he's doing with the play he does the play and that kind of starts to show to G uh kofi's friends that maybe they pushed him too hard right kofi really wasn't this hard gangbanger guy right. right he was just trying to fit in with the group right and then and then so they have the back and forth like you like you mentioned and then they do the i guess someone comes up from the side of the stage and then they have the blanks fired and shot so he's right. killed right now from there the play turns into a wake. Right. Right. Yes. You know, and so it turns into, sort so that from there, Montgomery starts querying people saying, Hey, what did you, what was your memory of Kofi? Right. What do you think of this? You know, and it was kind of, you know, what we say about him in life, right. About, about him in life. Right. So it becomes a wake for, uh, for Kofi, but then it turns from a wake and then he becomes where he's now starting to be. He then is the preacher on the crate. Yes. Right. At the yes. beginning. So he's, he's starting to espouse different things with there. And that's when he decides he's going to start where he says really two things that I, I think are prof somewhat profound, right? The one profound thing was he is building up to that. Kofi was more than just this person that we saw on the street. Right. Cause I was part of with the wake when he got the people to talk about Kofi, they all had different perspectives on him. Right. And so then, then they said he is more than just whatever the whatever your limited interaction was with Kofi. He is more right. than that. Yes. Right? He has the other aspects of his personality, who he was, which I which is a really nice tribute. And he's doing that through the voice of the preacher on mm -hmm. the crate. And then he starts saying and then he turns it to his friend Jimmy to then try to communicate to him. You are more than this house. Right. Right. Even though Jimmy does not necessarily think that he's more than this house. You're more than this house. There are things that you should know about this house and everything like that, that, you know, if you're, you know, he's kind of really telling them if you live here, you're great. If you don't live here, you're still great. Mm -hmm. You're still, you're still a wonderful person. You still have more, so much more to offer. And even in that, through that, when he's building Crescendo to, you know, telling him that the house wasn't built by his grandfather right. and everything, you could even tell by Jimmy's reaction. And this is part of what bothered me as well. He already knew. Right. Right. Because yeah. it's like, there's something you should know. And he's like, oh, I don't want to know. Right. Right. You know, and there's the things that you should, you know, I'm going to tell you about that. And you could tell that Jimmy understood where this was going and he just didn't want to hear it out loud, you know? And then once it was said out loud, then you find out, you know, the other 
uh, I guess, whiplash effect that you find out that he already knew. Right. Right. He already knew and the aunt already knew. And there, he's just trying to get his father to admit right. that it's true. Yeah. And his father is more stubborn about this lie than, than Jimmy is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a powerful moment. And you still don't it like, is. and you still don't like this movie. Okay. It is. So, so the problem for me is, it, is it because, is it because, that, is it because, I mean, as you said, it's the Jimmy already knew so that we don't have the emotional weight of his reaction to this revelation. Cause it's not a revelation to him. It's, it's, no. I mean, it's Montgomery calling him out on it and yes. Jimmy's not going to engage with that. And that's when Jimmy like takes off out Correct. of the, out of the house. Right. So, but he's yes. his, his, the last person that he could get to buy into his illusion is, is gone. So he, it's Jimmy's get left alone with his, you know, illusion of the house. And there's, there's no one else that will believe that with him. I mean, may, perhaps aside from his father, who's not the best, you know, role model or parental <laughs> figure ever either. No, no, he's not. So, so then I guess if we come back to like, what's the movie trying to say, the allegory, is it this, is it that, is it really, I mean, does Montgomery's little sermon there, is that what the movie's trying to say is that each of us are, are more than what we're perceived in our limited interactions with each other, that there's more to, to each other. Is that enough? I agree that that is what he's saying in the, in the, in, in the speech, right? right. That yes, he's, he's saying that not only was Kofi more, but you're more, we're right. all more, we can be more than what we're limiting ourselves to be. Okay. Right. And yes, that is a powerful moment, but part of what uh, also, again, for me, rubbed me the wrong way with that powerful moment was once you find out that Jimmy knows the lie, right? If he's told the lie for the first time here, right. he didn't know, right? At that point, you're like, okay, now I'm dealing with, now you have a man who has to try to grapple with everything that he is strive for and believed in life and understood is not true. And how does he then handle that? Right. But that's not the case. The case is he knew. Yeah. So, so really then the house doesn't have any ancestral tag to it. Pull right. To it, right. Right. It doesn't mean anything with there. Really the house, the, the only thing the house now means, and that's part of where, and this is where I think you really sort of understand the story a bit more. The only thing the house means is it's the last house that he lived in as a child before they became where they lived in a car and they were going to right. places like that. And it's the last place that he felt like it was at home. Yes. And that they lost the house due to, because to me, the story is it, about gentrification, right? Yes. They yeah. lost, they lost the house. The, the reasoning of gentrification is, is why they lost the house. Right. So they don't really go into why, you know, when you look up gentrification, how it works, if you're already in the house to lose it that way, typically it's either you're a renter and the rent goes up and you can't afford it, or you can't afford the higher property tax. Well, what, you, you know, m mom had a drug but, problem. I think, you know, dad, dad, dad clearly, you know, either lost his job or whatever. So probably, yeah, they couldn't, they couldn't make the payments on the, the house and the payments and the, and the, it was a lot of ways they could lose yes, his house right? yes exactly so, yeah so so yeah so he couldn't lose the house they lost the house that way and then that's the last place he felt home kind of right. at home yes. right but he's not then someone who is trying to idealistically uh get back to his roots and this is where he feels his family home and this is the place he's deserved he's just basically trying to be a kid again okay right yes and he's, he's not yeah. he's not really trying to embrace or you know grow up Right. You know, it's like that you, know, you lived in this house when you were 10. So since it's not, since it wasn't built by your grandfather and you know that, and it's just a house at that point it becomes, well, just, you know, try to get a different house. Even if you want to be in that neighborhood, try to get a different house in that neighborhood, try to get a house nearby, work up to, you know, you know like tr grow up and, you know, accept the responsibilities of adulthood. 
right? Ah, okay. Whereas what I then take this by, because he has this unnatural attachment to a house that he knows it's a lie, mm-hmm. right? Then, then it is really just, he just wants to be 10 again. Yes. Okay. And I, and I don't, I guess <laughs> not to me as a story that I'm like, kind of like, well, I don't really you, find you, that you, to be compelling. Right. Like, well, he's, he's not a sympathetic character anymore because he's not striving no, no. for anything that is, you know, we would say, oh, this is a, this is a good choice for this character. This is something honorable, something we can get behind. It's like, no, here's somebody that's just regressing and, and does refuses to fit, to grow up. So yes. then, okay. So then if we look at where he goes from that point, we see, you know, him back in the house with, with Montgomery and the grandfather. And he leaves a little note to Montgomery saying, thank you for being a good friend. And then he's out in the Bay rowing in a little boat. Rowing a boat. And that's right. to, and to like, get out of town, I guess. Yes. And right? well, and like a 10 year old, he didn't get his way, so he's going to run away. That's what he did. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. So, so that is, yeah. So I don't, okay. yeah, I, I don't, I identify much more with Montgomery. Montgomery yes. is trying to, he identify with, he's trying to grow up and understand he's dealt a hand. It ain't the best hand. It ain't necessarily yeah. the hand he wants to have dealt. He's working right. at a, a seafood deli right. shop, whenever that you know he had that, and he's taking care of his grandfather who, who who's uh, who's blind, and he has a small room in a in a smaller house, right? Right. But he's still trying to soldier forward and make himself a better person through his art and through you know the the writings and you know making the plays and through his drawing and you know and, and all those other things and and also trying to then just really just improve himself right as much as he can he he recognizes where he is be trying to improve himself where as and and be an adult take responsibility for things and you know and and move forward right whereas jimmy basically he just wants to be 10 and so then (laughs) i'm like all right well you you want to be a child so okay nice so so okay i'm i'm gonna take a different approach to this because there is there is a scene and again, this is one of these things where I will say, yes, admittedly, it's a weakness because so there, there's a little cameo appearance. There's a scene where Jimmy's on a bus and there's a woman on a bus complaining about the city and all of that. And this is Thora Birch. And so the, mm-hmm. the filmmakers cast her because they're they're big fans of the, the film Ghost World and is a little like Easter egg. She's, you know, she's she's older. She's wearing like a leather jacket, but she's got. Enid, the character she played in Ghost World, she's got those types of glasses like on her jacket there. So a little comment on on Ghost World. But in Ghost World, the character of Enid is stuck in this little town and that she feels she's she's outgrowing. And so at the end of the movie, she gets on this this bus to to leave town because the town is too small for her. So I'm I'm wondering if by having Jimmy row his boat out of there, it's they're trying to say that he has realized that he is now better than or or a better person or something that he needs to he can move beyond the house of his childhood rather than trying to be that 10 year old boy what montgomery has done is pushed him out of that and he jimmy realizes yes i have to go someplace else because i am more than just this piece the fact that the only way i can get that is by knowing that the filmmakers you know in the trivia section of imdb mentioned the inspiration of ghost world in this so that i'm making this conscious connection and it's not readily apparent in the story is, is definitely one of those weaknesses where I shouldn't have to read something in an interview or be aware of another film to try to understand this film. It should stand on its own. And for me, it's not readily apparent in just watching the movie. If that's what they're trying to say, it's not 
not clear because clearly, as we said, you know, as we said before we started recording, you haven't seen Ghost World, but it's not, it's not clear. As you said, it's, he's a 10 year old boy running away. That's your interpretation. And there's nothing that I could say in this movie that says, oh no, you're wrong because of X, Y, and Z. There's nothing there to disprove that. So yes, the, the argument stands that it looks like he's just fleeing and what his motives are, are not clearly communicated in the film as to why he's made that choice. Correct. But to take devil's advocate of my own position, even though I don't ag- agree, agree with this position, I, the movie does give you some way to get there. And I think it pivots on how you take the moment of revelation, right? Okay. The, the, the moment of revelation, if you take that as you still feel sorry for Jimmy, right? Like you're like, oh, this guy was really just trying to get back to where he lived as a child And, you know, that was his comfort and his safe in his home. And now he has to then kind of grow up and move on. He's going to go off to somewhere else because he can't stand being in San Francisco without being able to try to get back into this house, right? So you can kind of get to where you're going with that. But I think you have to then, you have to view him sympathetically. Right. And be, for me, because he knew it was a lie. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't have sympathy for him. Right. I, I feel then he's just being childish and he has a friend who would help him along the way, who has allowed him to stay at his house, presumably rent free. Yeah. Right. And allowed him to stay at his house and allowed him to try to, you know, build himself up, right? right. To, to allow him to try to get to somewhere to be a better place, right? And, and provided him a support system, not only a friendship, but, you know, financial support, real support, you know? And so he's now decided I'm just because. I can't ever get back into this house. I'm just going to throw all this away and I'm going to run off. Right. And that's, so, so that's kind of, it depends okay. on how you view them there. Right. right. If you view them sympathetically, I think you can get to the exact moment that you, that you think it. Right. And I think that there are tons of people, you know, there are 84% of the people on Rotten Tomatoes who love this movie <laughs> who probably think the same thing you just did. Right. That they're like, Hey, yeah. I feel, I feel sympathy for yeah. this character. And I feel that he was, he needed to leave so he could grow. Right. Right. Yeah. And that is definitely one way that I think the movie gives you enough to interpret it that way. I just interpret it differently. Oh, and that's the great thing about yeah. films is yes. every audience member brings their own history or biases to that. And then you see one thing in it, but the, the other thing is that you can come back to a movie five, 10 years later as a, as a different person and see things in it that, that aren't there. So it's, yeah. yeah. And I agree. There's enough ambi- ambiguity in this film because it, it is not like crystalline clear. This is clearly what we're saying. This is our commentary on gentrification and what we, what we believe about it. You know, there's not a lot of specifics that I can point to. It's, it's more general mood and emotion and tone. And I think that's, you know, part of the, you know, Choices they make stylistically, with the cinematography, the music, all this is to to develop emotions in people rather than, oh, here's a logical argument. I'm going to play to the heart on these things, not the not the mind with a logically reasoned argument where I where it's a clear where I'd say it's a it's a message movie where it's like this movie is making a political statement about these specific things. It doesn't do that. It's not that type of film. And I think that's where it it maybe gets that higher rating because everybody will come with a different emotional reaction or appeal or connection to this story that, you know, again, when you, when you appeal to emotions, there's no wrong, right? You can't say, Oh, it's, you can say, Oh, well, it, it, it's a sad movie. Well, no, it's not. It's like, well, no, it makes me feel sad. So it's a sad movie, right? That's, that, yes. that's where we are with this. Well, there's, exactly. I mean, 
there's a lot of things going on in, in this movie. It's not a clear, you know, resolution. Um, for me, all the pieces worked, and then perhaps it's that abstract metaphorical, you know, this is what it's it's doing for me, and I don't need the the nice check boxes because, and it, perhaps because I don't just don't know enough about real estate to know that a realtor wouldn't have. That deep, or I'm just willing to suspend my disbelief enough, allowed me to to do that, and I will say, you know, it's it's like those things like uh, in Jurassic Park where I love that movie despite the fact that the whole thing with the goat, and then all of a sudden where the goat was is like a hundred foot drop, and there's no way that that works. But I will let that go because Jurassic Park is such a fun film. I don't care that there's a you know problem with physics and geography in that movie. It still is, is fun, and I will let that go. The same thing stands for this one. You have pointed out all of these flaws, and I will say, yes, I agree. I will cast them aside and say I like the way that this movie makes me feel. Okay. Well, you know, and that's all fair and reasonable. And I will just give a small counterpoint to the saying sure. that your example was a movie where dinosaurs have been brought yes, back know, to, to the current times. <laughs> and you're comparing that to a character drama set in San Francisco. Yes. So the, once you accept the dinosaurs, it's on the it's on it's on first street, right? right? Dinosaurs yes. is like, okay, so belief is suspended. Okay? Yes, I know. You know I you're know. gonna accept a lot, right? Yes, so, that's true. So yeah, but but at the same time, I think that for me, and I I'm actually curious then what you um, you know, if there's anything else you thought about it as a whole at the end, I, I felt this movie was about gentrification. Yeah. And I felt that when I, even looking back at it again, at other scenes, that if you take everything in the context of, okay, we're going to tell a story about gentrification and we're going to tell that story from the perspective of people who have been victimized by gentrification. Mm-hmm. So uh, taking the political argument of gentrification right. to this, putting that to the side yeah. about is it, a, is, are there victims, not victims and all that, right? But the people that feel that they've been victimized by it, and this is a story about how they could feel in multiple different ways, right? There are multiple different allegories and statement points throughout the movie that kind of do lend itself to we're talking about gentrification the whole way through. I find that if you, at least I feel that if you knew that going in, that you might enjoy the movie more because you could see, you would see everything through that lens, right? And, and the, the character motivations start making more sense, right? If, if, if you now understand Jimmy as someone who feels that he was forced out of right. his rightful home yes. through a gentrification process and that, that there was a wrong that was done to him and he's trying to get back to restore that wrong, well, that's a different motivation, Right, yes. right than 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 the one I'm ascribing to him. So so I think that if you know that you can kind of couch the movie different ways. But but I do at least that's what I think the movie's about. I agree with you that it is. It's all emotional. So then there is no wrong. There's there's no wrong way to feel about it, any of what they're doing. But then like I know did you, did you feel that it had that type of a central point that it really the whole thing is about gentrification or about something else or did you feel that it wasn't about one single thing? You know I. From the beginning, I figured there was going to be something about gentrification because it goes all the way back to, you know, our, our street preacher and like, why do they get these suits? And, you know, if it's toxic and all this of the separation of like, there's us and are we being the victims and what's being, what are we being subjected to that they know and are protecting themselves from, but allowing us to be victimized by the whole, you know, if the house becomes that ongoing metaphor of gentrification of a family being pushed out of something that that should belong to them, um, you know, again, it's 
it's not something I have enough personal experience with either myself or friends or anything to say, okay, I know exactly what the consequences of gentrification, what that does to a community, all of that. That's not something I have firsthand knowledge of. So it's something I, I struggle with. So I, I can't specifically say, oh yeah, that's clear to me. I get the sense of it. And that's, I think, one of the, the challenges with this film because it's not as clear to say, yes, this is what we're trying to say because it, I just get hints of it because I, those storylines, there's never any follow through on them. We see like the, you know, these different pieces where there's just a house burned down or when uh, at one point when, when Jimmy and, and, and Montgomery get off the bus, they get off the bus into like, it's just smoky in, in the street. And as they, they walk through and then encounter the, the, the street gang, there's no explanation for that. What is, what is that smoke is what is going on in the neighborhood? And because I don't get that fully explained, it just creates this sort of surreal shadow that hangs over the film that for me obscures a little bit what that message might be. And that's why for me, I, I focus more on the story of Jimmy and the relationship to the house and childhood and family and a sense of belonging to a place because it wasn't clear to me if it was making a larger, grander statement. So I have to attach to what I can connect to, which is Jimmy, a man who's trying to recapture his childhood and, and being pushed out of that and the, the choices, you know, he has to make. I mean, the, there's, as you mentioned, he does have a job. There's one scene where we see that and it's, you know, that's it. What are we, what are we supposed to gain from that? That he's a compassionate man. You know, what, what are we, what is that job as sort of a caregiver for the elderly supposed to say? Cause again, it's, there's fragments of pieces, but they're never put together because if that choice to have him give, have that type of career to be a caretaker of the elderly, is that supposed to connect to him to the house as caretaker of an older house? Is it him as you know, young black man trying to maintain a connection to the the older society that's there. What what does that mean? Again, it's not clear. I'm not given answers, and I don't know that there's enough here for me to draw clear conclusions to to give an answer to that. And I and I agree that is that's a, a weakness to the film because it it by not committing to anything, then it it doesn't say any one thing strongly. It, it gives hints of several things that I feel like. There was I saw enough talent and craft in parts of the movie that yes, I had hoped for something more concrete and specific in the resolution to this film because of I look at the, the, the talent and the performances, the cinematography, the music. I love the music. For me it, it it carried those emotional pieces. I could connect to those things. There was the creative visuals that I thought all of this can build to something really powerful. This is a movie that should have me in tears at the end, but I don't. And that's, you know, now I'm rethinking my rating. Thank you, Ocean. Now I'm going <laughs> to you know, no, this, this, pull out the flaws on these things of like, don't just let, don't let them, you know, you know, create some melodrama to manipulate your emotions. What hold them accountable for, for saying something. And yeah, they, they don't clearly do that in this film. There we are. Okay. Well, I, um, I guess I apologize for any no, 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 never on, the, on your enjoyment of the film. Never, never apologize yeah, for that because yeah. that that'll give me an opportunity to go back and revisit and say, yes, the film works in certain ways, but is not as successful as you know 
I thought, and that, that's happened to me several times where my initial reaction to a film is like, oh my gosh. And then I go back and revisit and go, eh, I got some issues with this. Yeah. You know, and that can be, I can get swept up in the moment. Hereditary is an example. At first, I was like, this is this crazy, intense horror movie. And then I watched it a second time. I was like, I got a lot of issues with the logic and reasoning of what's <laughs> yes. what's going on here. Let me pick this right. apart. And yeah, I'm always willing willing to do that. And it's always great to have a conversation with someone with a different perspective so that we can we can probe into these things and, and listeners can say that's something important to to bring to the table that, you know, in their discussions with friends about this movie to discuss the merits of it. And is is that enough? Or do they are they willing to just appreciate it as art and let it be or do they want something more from that and, and be critical of that and, and look for those things in the film so that's what we're here for yes nope i i, I agree and uh that's okay. really i think i want to say about that movie. Uh, no that's great all right well so right. Our, our listeners i want to thank you for listening to trailer rewind if anything we said here entertained educated or even enraged you we'd like you to tell people about this podcast Whatever your podcast listening platform is, please share, rate, or write a short review. It helps other podcast listeners find us. If you enjoy connecting with other film fans, you can become a member of our community over on Discord. It's free, and there's always an interesting dialogue or debate to jump into. Well, Ocean, it's been a pleasure, and I look forward to maybe doing another one of these with you sometime down the road. Yes, it has been a pleasure. I sincerely hope. Hondo, everyone. Andy, according to my friend, Internet, this is what Letterboxd is. Letterboxd is a global social network for grassroots film discussion and discovery. Use it as a diary to record and share your opinion about films as you watch them, or just keep track of films you've seen in the past. Showcase your favorites on your profile page. That is a lot. You bet it is. That's why I want you to tell our fair listeners just one thing you do with Letterboxd that has changed the way you watch movies. Let them have it. Okay, are you ready for this? So ready. I love lists. As of today, I have 246 lists in my account. I use them to track the movies I watch, organize them in all sorts of different ways. I track them by hand. I clone lists from other people. I use them to plan what I'm going to be watching. All sorts of things. I just, I love creating lists. It's a fantastic tool. Sexiest animated characters. Andy, what is this? We love Letterboxd. And if you're a movie lover, we are sure you will too. And when you upgrade from the free account, you will remove ads and support the great Kiwi team building this amazing service. Just use the discount code NEXTREEL or visit thenextreel.com slash letterboxd to get 20% off your pro or patron membership. And it works for renewals as well.